As you know by now, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand that I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation. Plus CBD Daily Balance THC-free. Daily Balance is a daily-use supplement that provides the benefits of CBD without the concern of other cannabinoids like THC causing unwanted effects. Daily Balance contains the purest form of hemp-derived CBD in high concentrations to help you overcome intense challenges to mental and physical well-being. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new Daily Balance THC-free line of oil, soft gels, and gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We recently had an opportunity to talk to Dr. Mary Hardy, who is an expert on integrative oncology. Uh, She graced our airwaves on the weekend edition of Intelligent Medicine, and we had uh, a short segment in which we discussed uh, the benefits of fermented wheat germ extract, specifically a new product called Metatrol, but I wanted to do a deeper dive. So I invited her on today's program to talk a little bit about her experience uh, in integrative medicine, specifically uh, integrative oncology, uh, and to talk about uh, what is kind of a resurrection of a traditional remedy, fermented wheat germ extract in a modern guise. The product is called Metatrol. Dr. Mary Hardy is board certified in internal medicine. She's an author, educator, founder of the Integrative Medicine Program at Cedars Sinai Hospital, uh, Hospital to the Stars in Los Angeles. Uh, that's where their babies are born, and <laughs> that's where they go to get their gallbladders out. And the past medical director of the Sims Mann UCLA Center for Integrative Oncology, which is a fascinating story unto itself. I want to ask her a little bit about it. Welcome. To intelligent medicine, Dr. Hardy. It's nice having you aboard again. Thanks, Dr. Hoffman. It's great to be here. I appreciate the chance to talk about things in a bit more depth. Excellent. Indeed. So uh, tell us a little bit about your journey because uh, back in 1998, and I, I think that this was uh, really uh, early in the evolution of what is now termed integrative medicine. Uh, you founded the Integrative Medicine Clinic at Cedars-Sinai. So uh, you Mm -hmm. were trained traditionally, Mm -hmm. you went through traditional medical training, uh, and then Mm -hmm. you made the transition to an integrative approach and and actually uh, gained a very prestigious position at a major uh, university hospital in Los Angeles. So how did that come about? Well, as always, I think the most interesting thing in clinical practice is the patients, and the patients... um, began, really a lot of this came from them. Uh, They had things they were doing for themselves that worked and I didn't know about, so I wanted to know more. And in asking questions, I kind of fell onto this pathway. I also uh, went with my college roommate to China in, let's see, probably almost 40 years ago now. 
and it was still very much the old Maoist country, and they showed us surgeries under acupuncture anesthesia, including one where the patient's brain was being operated on, and the patient was awake, alert, and talking, and just had some acupuncture needles in their ear, a few even. And so, so that, that impress you with like, the uh, efficacy of uh, of these alternative approaches, which are, at the, that point were you know virtually unknown in the U.S. Exactly, and what it really did was break my paradigm, because I had no way that I'd been taught that this could possibly be effective, but I had the evidence of my own eyes, and so then I it really spurred me on to further investigation and further training. The opportunity came up to participate at Cedars, and um, I, I was happy to do that because I, I think it, it it brought me, um, I, I left the private practice I was in to do this work full-time, and then also had opportunity to do some research at RAND Corporation, then was... In my, in my hometown of Santa Monica, California, and that's actually where I grew up. In your hometown yep. of Santa Monica, California. Yeah. And they did, they did some, some really incredible work there, and then you know, was the Botanical Research Associate Director of the Botanical Research Center at UCLA. And I was really loving the research part, but I missed the patient contact. And so my return to patient care was at the UCLA, at the Simmons Mann Center um, for integra- UCLA Center for Integrative Oncology. And and I got into, into the oncology practice again through my patients. You know, they said, you were such a big help when I had menopause or when I had my cholesterol was too high. Now that I've got cancer, I want the same kind of treatment with my cancer treatment. And that was, there was no, no training for this. No one was really doing this. There was a few of us and we sort of supported each other and, and taught ourselves and taught, and our patients taught us what worked and what didn't work. And my goal primarily there was, I'm not in the business of curing cancer or directly treating it per se. Prevention, absolutely. But I really wanted to make the traditional cancer therapies more effective and particularly less toxic so that people could take their conventional therapy, get the benefit out of that, and then hopefully mitigate um, long-term consequences, some of which might be permanent, like neuropathy, for example. And, and, that, and that was a really exciting process to be involved in, to see your patients do so much better and to see that they were responding well, that your therapies were not interfering with their conventional therapies, and in fact were helping, was very, very, very gratifying and really a, a great adventure that I, I cherished the opportunity to do that. It was wonderful work. Well, two problems uh, can happen when integrative medicine meets uh, oncology or even alternative <laughs> medicine, we call it, is that some patients uh, eschew uh, conventional therapy altogether. They don't believe in it because it's, uh, you know, slash burn poison. You know, that's the meme about yeah. that. And so they, yeah. they may miss out on some of the advantages of conventional therapy. On the other hand, uh, a lot of patients visit their oncologist and then the oncologist uh, asks them if they're taking any supplements and then they admit to taking supplements and they say, well, you know, you can't take any of that when you're getting conventional treatment. And I think uh, both uh, extremes are, are wrong. And I think that there mm-hmm. is a place for uh, properly uh, guided integrative therapies uh, with a discernment about what might interfere, but also what might, as you mentioned, ameliorate the side effects and enhance the efficacy of the conventional treatments, right? 
correct. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And that was 10 years of my career, working that out, working with patients and finding way, finding ways that, that to make that actually true. So I agree with you. So are it, there, are it there interesting? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You. Yeah. I was going to ask. Well, uh, I just said it, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it was interesting to do this at a very conventional medical center, uh, because at first everyone, the patients were, were always more receptive than the, than the, the faculty, the, the, um, conventional oncologists. But, but truly, after watching what happened to people for six months or so, most oncologists came and said, you know, in fact, one said directly to me, don't know exactly what you're doing, and I don't particularly have to know, but, but my patients do better. They don't have, they don't have to have chemo holidays. They can continue their therapies. Their mood is better. They're, they just seem to tolerate this better. And, and that was the response that I got. And then once they saw that I was careful to stay out of their way, you know, like I won't do something if I think it's going to interfere, then as the trust builds up, that made it a really productive way to work together because we both understood each other's practice much better. Well, give us an example of where, you know, somebody who might go to a health food store and load up on supplements mm -hmm. uh, might interfere with the efficacy of a treatment that they're getting, you know, whether it be radiation or chemo. Are, are there certain no-nos that, uh, you know, one needs to be careful about? Yeah. And I, I know it takes experience uh, to keep up with the latest oncological treatments and to learn what helps Correct. and what doesn't help, what gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you uh, two kinds of examples. The first example is, you know, as we talked about the patient who says, I don't want to do traditional therapy, I want to do fill in the blanks. And, you know, the response to that always is, you know, why not, you know, what, what's, what's behind your thinking? And then you can work with that. I had a woman tell me that she thought that if she meditated and ate better, she could deal with her breast cancer. Um, and, and I, Basically, I'd say to her, you know, if you were in the extreme position of being in a monastery where everything was taken care of for you and you could spend hours on this and you didn't have your children and their issues and the carpool, uh, that could be possible. But that's not the world we're living in. So let's agree that we don't have ideal circumstances and so we're going to have to probably do something more aggressive to deal with the fact that a tumor has already developed. Unless you, because you're not going to fundamentally change your entire lifestyle. And she was like, yeah, that's true. That's one person. Clearly, if people don't do the conventional therapy, that's where the research shows us that, that non-conventional therapy generally is not as effective. So, period. The second possibility is someone that was referred to me by one of the oncologists I worked with. And she had a patient who had, um, her liver enzymes had gone up. So she had a chemically induced hepatitis and she was on tamoxifen and tamoxifen can irritate the liver. But the good news about tamoxifen is we know that it will decrease the risk of recurrence of an estrogen positive breast tumor by 50%. So there was a real potential benefit here. And the patient kind of reluctantly admitted to the oncologist that she had been taking a few things, but she really didn't want to stop. So, she arranged for me to, to talk to this patient, um, and I said to the woman, bring in everything you're taking, let's have a good look. 
she brought in two shopping bags full of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. And this is a good example um, of someone who's so afraid that they'll make continue to make every choice. No, they can't figure out one or two choices that would be good. They want to do everything thinking that's going to keep them safe. And in this case, it wasn't. It was harming her. So we agreed she could pick three things out of her bag that she couldn't live without. And I would pick three things that I thought would really be helpful. I would keep the bags. We'd wait two weeks, check her lab work again, and then come back and negotiate because, you know, see, see what happens. Her liver function normalized perfectly, but she was so uncomfortable not taking this stuff that she came and took her bags back. Oh. And refused to mock them. Wow. Okay. So, so that's so that's one. Person. And then the other person is a person who, um, you know, who 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 basically um, gets a promise that sounds too good to be true, and then decides to take 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 me up on that, or take someone else up on that, and they get a mystery product from you know the ancient Chinese practitioner as an example from China is a fermented something or other and it was $600 a bottle and that person is probably not doing it. Yeah. And sometimes so with undisclosed ingredients or you know at effort. levels that are unfamiliar to Absolutely. You know, yeah. Absolutely. And we don't know the manufacturing quality and stuff like that. So those are three examples I think that I would really encourage people to avoid Mm -hmm. And it means that as you're considering anything, it's really a good idea to discuss it with someone who does have some expertise. Who can say to you, "Huh, I see. Well, we could do it that way, but we could use this material instead, which has more research and has less evidence of, and has more evidence of less toxicity or interference." Uh, another way I would go about this is I would look up a new uh, cancer drug that was new to me, and I would see what part of the liver it was in, what part of the liver enzymes used were used to metabolize it, and I would avoid supplements that use that mm -hmm. same enzyme system. Again, in an effort, in an abundance of caution, to not interfere with the metabolism of that drug, either making it less effective or more effective, increasing the level in the blood or decreasing mm -hmm. the level in the blood just wanted to stay completely away from it. So that's another way to go about it. But it, is there one thing off the shelf I'd say not used? No. And a good example is a lot of docs say no antioxidants during cancer Exactly. Treatment. I was going to ask about because that. Is they'll often like, you know, those people who are taking various antioxidants say mm -hmm. absolutely no antioxidants during radiation or chemotherapy. Is that a general rule that should be applied or, or right. a caution that's reasonable? Right. Right. It, no, is it? no. Okay. No, I, think you should, I don't think you should be taking big handfuls of stuff. But in the in the places where we've looked at this in the literature, there was a really famous study where people who had neck cancer who were getting chemo and radiation were given um, the antioxidant vitamin E. And, and when they analyzed the data, it looked like the vitamin E was associated with an increased risk of recurrence. And so that was it. So here's the here's the evidence that antioxidants interfere with treatment. However, if you looked at that, can't, that, 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 that study a bit more closely, you would see this interesting piece of information. Most of the people who get head and neck cancer are smokers and or uh, drink a lot okay. of alcohol. Yeah. And, and all of the risk, all of the increased risk of the vitamin E was in patients who also continued smoking. Uh. So I think it'd be very difficult to blame vitamin E for that. I blame the smoking. Mm -hmm. 
and and certainly continuing to smoke is a very bad habit when you're being treated for um, mouth, tongue, head, and neck cancer. So that's that. There's not a lot of direct evidence for harm, and there is some evidence, like in this case, the people who did take the antioxidant, the the soreness in their mouth and some of the side effects of the chemo was significantly better. So it, it's usually a nuanced amount of approach that's needed, not mandatory this or mandatory that. And um, in a lot of cases, substances that have antioxidant capacity have also been shown to be very helpful in reducing um, side effects from chemo, radiation, et cetera. One good example is a particular um, uh, patented extract of curcumin mm-hmm. was shown to decrease the side effects of chemo and radiation, but also did things like it kept the white count higher. Mm-hmm. Um didn't help protect the, the platelets, so they didn't get reduced. Because a lot of the side effects would come from the reduced white count, the reduced platelets, you know, white mm-hmm. count infection and fevers and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that's way simplistic, and some of the people that I know who are the best researchers in antioxidant health and the utility of antioxidants have been very um, opposed to this blanket um, this blanket rejection because what happens is the old, the original styles of chemotherapy are big heavy hammers and they whack down the body and they whack down on good cells and bad cells they're indiscriminate and you just hope that the good cells outlast the bad cells you know that the cancer is the most the fastest growing and usually by multiple times faster growing and so that they'll be much more vulnerable to these these big heavy hammers that break them and that the 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 same effects in, in normal cells will be milder and the can- cancer will die before the patient dies. But crudely, I think what the, what the, what the effect is. And so, so I think things that are in there actually protect the normal cells and don't significantly protect the cancer cells. And I think it makes the hammer a bit more selective and fermented wheat germ extract a good example of that. Right. I mean, it is thought that, uh, that normal cells uh, non-cancerous cells have better uh, utilization of the antioxidants to protect them than cancer cells, and hence, uh, exactly. selectively, mm-hmm. uh, the cancer cells won't benefit mm-hmm. as much from the antioxidant application. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any uh, sort of sure things, you know, in terms of uh, supplements that are, are generally well tolerated across the board? I know you you have to be. You have to really individualize mm-hmm. this, and this is this yeah. is not a podcast yeah. to tell people what to take if they have cancer or if they're undergoing chemo or radiation or immunotherapy, because uh, you know it the, it requires expertise by an integrative oncologist like Dr. Hardy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but are there certain things that are kind of like a, a free ride? You know, generally beneficial. You know, yeah. mostly won't do harm. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. are some of those things? So. The- the first thing I ask my patients to do is to check the vitamin D level and make sure they're not deficient or even insufficient. Not, most people aren't frankly deficient. They mostly just have a too low of a level because um, that can, that can make it harder for the, can, for the, for the, to respond to cancer therapy, oddly. So in colon cancer, this has been shown that people with a very low vitamin D don't respond as well to chemo. So make sure your vitamin D level is up to snuff, number one. Number two, um, things that generally support your health and well-being in a more global sense uh, tend to be very much free lunches. Uh, like medicinal mushrooms are wonderful for that. 
again, there's a whole variety of them, different kinds of mushrooms that you could slant a little bit differently one way or the other, but they generally are helpful, very rarely harmful. So that's two things I always ask people to look into. And, and, um, and, and I do think that's one of the reasons why when I'm evaluating a product, I look at it from two, two different, two different perspectives. One, can it support the patient, no matter what else it does, can it support the patient during treatment in a way that, that makes their quality of life better? And if the answer is yes, then I also like to look and see how good is the science behind how it works, what kind of, what kind of research shows the effects, and is there evidence in human, not just theoretically, is there evidence in, in humans? And that's how I make my decisions about what to pick and what not to pick um, right off the top. But I think certainly under multiple vitamins are not a bad idea. It's just a little bit of everything so that you don't end up getting, frankly, deficient in something. You know, most chemotherapies are very hard on vitamin C, as an example. You use a lot of vitamin C because the body system is still trying to repair all the breaks that the, that the radiation or the chemotherapy causes. And so you want to have at least enough vitamin C so that your normal, your normal tissues are supported. That's one example. So those three things, I probably would say, are, are not unreasonable for most people. So... So, so I'm old enough to remember uh, Adele Davis, and uh, in the Adele Davis uh, days, you know, we talked about, mm. uh, you know, uh, liver extract and yeast extract, and one of her things was uh, raw wheat germ. That was popular in the in the fifties and sixties, you know, when our parents mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. health enthusiasts, and we were little. Uh, now uh, sure. it's it's kind of making a a comeback, but in a form that is more uh-huh. scientifically validated. And also it's free of the taint that a lot of people are concerned about, which is gluten sensitivity or wheat sensitivity. I mean, like wheat germ extract, I mean, pretty much it says yeah. it all. It's like you're really hitting yourself with a dollop of something right. that you might be sensitive to. So tell us about the the new guise yeah. in which we find fermented wheat germ extract. So first of all, this is not your grandmother's Wheat germ, that's for sure. Like you said, the Adele Davis days. And it goes back to this very nice scientific um, uh, lineage that it had, starting with St. Georgie, who was a, uh, a, a biochemist who was an Eastern European biochemist who developed um, two, two different ways that he won the Nobel Prize. The first was for describing the structure of vitamin C, and the second was for describing the, which is of importance to us today, describing process of respiration or metabolism of the cell. And this, he described how the cell would get oxygen and glucose, combine those to make energy. And this was ox- oxygen dependent. And he also observed, along with other scientists, that cancer cells metabolize differently. And Otto Warburg is the person who who really, um, who really, uh, kind of coined this term and really made it more, more, um, you know, gave it the name, the, the Warburg effect, which was the effect of cancer cells metabolizing without using glucose. And so. Anaerobic metabolism. That yeah. kind of. Anaerobic metabolism without, without oxygen metabolism. This is important for two reasons. Cancer cells, as they, they're, all their um, chemistry gets and they're, they're, all their mechanisms get hijacked to this unregulated growth. And so they become much more primitive 
cells in a way, and much more dysregulated cells. And so the fact that they could not use oxygen anymore is a sign of the primitive primitiveness of the cells. But Warburg said, along with St. Georgie, this is exploitable. This is a great example in a way, of a way in which cancer cells, all of them, and normal cells, all of them, do things differently. So as we were talking before, the cancer therapy whopping all kinds of cells, if we could exploit this difference, then we could target our cancer treatment to the point where it, 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 it takes advantage of this and cancer cells get hit, but normal cells don't. Okay? So, um, so then next, next thing happens is the war on cancer and as with a lot of our conventional medicine, we develop anti this, anti that, you know, anti-hypertension, whatever. And we decided that the war on cancer, rather than trying to exploit the metabolism, we should just kill it, you know, just do that anti thing. And then we got, like you said before, cut, burn, poison. We then we we lost that a bit. Thought about the sophisticatedness of this, but in the um. After the uh, after the end of the Soviet Union, a lot more academic freedom developed in the countries uh, that were former Soviet bloc countries. And so Dr. Hedvege, a biochemist in Hungary, went back to St. George's work and pursued it and developed um, this fermented, the first round of the first genesis of this, the first generation of this fermented wheat germ extract. Now, fermentation is key to this because fermentation is this, it's kind of a, it's a wild sort of a thing to do, and it's very difficult to sometimes control. Think about how much trouble people go to to get their wine to ferment perfectly. And um, but, but it, it creates novel compounds, and it concentrates others, etc. So it concentrated the compounds that Dr. Vege was interested in, developed this, and it started being used in Hungary um, in preclinical work and also in humans. It's a great advantage, but the problem with that, the original stuff was, because some of your folks may say, Ugh, I tried that the first time I had cancer and it was so hideous I couldn't stand it. It really tasted tough. It was Was that was the product that was called Ave? Ave was the name of the product? Ave or Ave Mar, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um Ave it, Mar. It still right. Because yeah, I, I remember that from the like the nineteen eighties or nineteen nineties, you know, like or when I was in my early days yeah. of practice. Yeah. Yeah. And and it just was too hard to get compliance, and it was too hard for people who who had um, taste changes associated with cancer, and they just they just couldn't do it. So then, um, Dr. Vege met the current um, people who are selling um, uh, fermented wheat germ extract in the United States, and they first thing they did was manufacture it in a more uh, a, in a more efficient manner, so it, it the taste taste got better. There were less additives. The volume got smaller, and it was better tasting. It, not great, but better. And and they were kind of poking along until Dr. James Watson um, wrote an editorial in the New York Times and said that he doesn't understand why we aren't exploiting this thing that Warburg observed almost a century ago now. You know, why aren't we exploiting this clear difference between cancer cells and normal cells? And this is the, say, this is the, the James Watson who, of Watson and Crick who, uh, who discovered yep. the DNA uh, structure? Helix, yeah, wow. who, who got, won the Nobel Prize for developing the, the, um, the, 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 double, the double helix of DNA. Mm-hmm. 
so not a shabby scientist, let's right, say. Right, right. And, and so so he this, this material was brought to his attention, and he decided to take it into his really world-famous lab in Cold Springs Harbor, New York, and started to do, in cooperation with the company that sells it now, to do some in-depth research on this material, because he believed the, pre- the preliminary work that had been done and thought this deserves a really deep scientific look. So they kind of started to take the extract apart. And um, like like many researchers, he was initially interested in a silver bullet to see if there was a drug that could be made out of this. But one of the things they did that was really, really very useful was um, something called biodirected fractionation. And this means they take the whole big lump of that we know has activity and they start to look at little smaller pieces, smaller and smaller pieces, so they can find the smallest amount of material that contains 100% of the activity of the original uh, extract. And when they did that, it went from 5 grams to 250 milligrams. Mm-hmm. Vastly small. to fit in capsules. It doesn't taste weird anymore. Lots of other stuff that was in the extract is, is gone, including gluten, completely gone. And they just have this very highly concentrated formula. And they did a lot of work with it at, at, at Cold Spring Harbor. And between looking at the work that had already been done and their work, I think it became clear that there were lots of interesting mechanisms by which this, this complex mixture would work. Okay, I want to I, I want to um, pause uh, because we divide our podcast into two parts. But let me just mention the product uh, mm-hmm. that they developed at Cold Spring Harbor. I believe is called Metatrol, and we we have a special offer yes. for intelligent medicine listeners. Uh, you can use coupon code Hoffman twenty at checkout and get a twenty percent first time discount and free shipping at theharmonycompany.com dot com or call eight hundred four two two. 5518. That's 800 422 5518. We're going to continue our fascinating discussion about uh, a modern iteration of wheat germ extract with uh, very, very interesting properties. Our guest is Dr. Mary Hardy. Uh, she is the former uh, head of the Integrative Medicine Clinic at Cedar Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles and also. Uh, she served as associate director of the UCLA Botanical Research Center uh, and uh, was uh, also involved with the UCLA Center for Integrative Oncology. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. <laughs>